hamster with a blunt penknife and do it quicker. Welcome back to uh, Hamster with a Blunt Pen Knife, the Doctor Who commentary podcast. Simon Hart has got a beer in his hand. Fraser Gregory has got a Guinness in his hand. I've got a cup of coffee in my hand. And we're more than ready to embark on episode two of Genesis of the Daleks. However, gentlemen, before we go in, I have a question for you both. No, not a question for us both. Both of you. Yes. And it's about David Maloney, uh, who so I, I kind of think there's like, kind of like tiers with directors. There's, there's the A-listers, um, there's the B-listers and there's definitely the C-listers. So as we hit the 80s, oh, I know we've talked about it a bit. But anyway, I basically want to know where you think he falls. And do you think this is his best directed story? And we're going to start with Fraser. Right. Direction isn't always my wheelhouse. Um, it's not something that I haven't paid much attention to until I've like started talking to you guys and whatnot. So remind me what else David Maloney has directed. He did. The Mind Robber, The Protons, The War Games, Planet of the Daleks, Genesis of the Daleks, Planet of Evil, Deadly Assassin, and Talents of Wen Chang. There's probably four stories in there that are considered absolute conquering classics. Yes, Planet of Evil, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he tackled the war games. <clears throat> and the war yeah. games ain't a disappointment. Yeah, I mean, no, those, those are all... There's not there's not a tough having there, is there? Um, Sorry, not even the Crotons. No, the Crotons is... Crotons is interesting, like, interestingly directed, if nothing else. Well, <laughs> it's, it's interesting throughout, to be honest, um, is the Crotons. Obviously, the mind robber is genius. Um... You know, you can see the DNA between this and Deadly Assassin, can't you? With you know the gas masks and the gravel yeah. and the slow motion, so you can definitely see this is the same guy that's done, you know, Deadly Assassin. So um, I would probably say on on the basis of you know those stories, it's probably going to be A, isn't it? Yeah, I I, I think he's an A lister. So I absolutely he yeah he's top tier. He's there with Douglas Canfield, I think, as the kings of classic Doctor Who. I can't think of anyone who quite comes close. And David Maloney gets difficult productions as well. So you've got things like Deadly Assassin, where you've got a story where there's no companion. So he's taking that on. You've got a very surreal, all the location footage in one episode, just about um, stuff. He makes that stupid long fight seem tense. And mm. I'm not a big fan of Deadly Assassin, but it is well directed. And then he encourages the camp through episode four. So that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> not many people would say that, but I think episode four of The Deadly Assassin is one of the funniest Doctor Who would. Rassle on Star! Oh boy! <laughs> Oh, you all get the same. <laughs> Your Peter but, Pratt is amazing, honestly. But you watch The Mind Robber and The War Games and this, and although I dread to say it, there are moments of Planet of Evil that are really quite well directed. Planet of Evil is very well directed, I think. Yes, Especially I just don't like it. <laughs> the, yeah, well, it's a bit 
dreary, isn't it? But mm-hmm. it's very well realised and lit yes. and designed. And I think that's what he brings. He brings control on the studio floor. And he's on top of this. I mean, Planet of the Daleks was a huge, whopping great thing, story to do. So that's a six-part story that is mostly in the studio. So you've got about five minutes of film footage mm. in the middle of the story. And that's it. So he's got a hell of a lot to do in the studio. But he does it. Like, people criticise Planet of the Daleks for what it is. But I think, given what he's asked to do, which is essentially an action movie in a cramped BBC studio, what he pulls off in that is terrific. Imagine if it had been Richard Martin. I'd rather. That's all I will say. (laughs) It's interesting, Planet of the Daleks, because, you know, that's, you know, what Barry Lett and Terence Dick said about Terry Nation is, you've sold us this script already for Planet of the Daleks and Death of the Daleks, but they're all different stories at the the heart of it. You know, it's... It's another thing about Terry Nation is he's he's not even that predictable. You know, all of his his Dalek stories do something different. I mean, obviously we have the beginnings of the Daleks here. Um, If you go from the Daleks itself, the first one, um, into Dalek Invasion of Earth, you've got, again, it's it's a completely different setup. You know, these creatures can now mobilise and conquer other planets now. Um, going into the chase, which is just... Madcap, but, you know... Yeah, what's going on with that? Completely different. Plan, you know, which is surprisingly grim. Yeah. Again, the Dalek's Master Plan is... Yeah. Well, and Dark then, Invasion of Earth as well is... Yeah, it's very grim. Yeah. yeah. And it? Death to the Daleks, actually, first episode is... Yeah. Is surprisingly dark in places... But again, it's, an, it's a new idea, isn't it? It's take the Daleks' firepower, take yes, that gun off the Daleks. I don't think they actually do anything with it, but it's but a the idea's idea. there, you know, yeah. and the idea's there. And Planet of the Daleks is, you know, well, what if we have invisible Daleks and planets full of Daleks and, you know... For this, it was like, well, what are you going to do next? And he does Android Invasion, which, again, has a stunning first episode. He's great at openings. Yeah, he really does know how to set a scene, doesn't he? Well, he's, he's just... he's. He's a much better, a much um, more talented writer than I think a lot of fandom given credit for. A lot more um, imaginative and diverse, you know, in terms of his storytelling than he actually gets credit for. I just think he, I think his biggest weakness, and this is what a lot of people can focus on, is I think he gets a bit bored before the end of the stories and he just hashes out the last episode. And he wants to be onto the next next thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, if, if people are letting him do this, mm. then, you know, compare this story with Destiny of the Daleks, where, which is just the bare bones of a story that he's produced. You know, if, if you know, Douglas Adams and Graham Williams went back to him and said, no, Terry, give us more. Try again. We want X, Y, and Z. I disagree with you then, because I really like yeah. the last episode of Destiny of the Daleks. I think it has that great action sequence outside the Mavellan ship. I think it has the really interesting idea of the logical impasse, which they managed to project the children in a very smart and but simple way. Um, and uh, Tom Baker's completely fucking insane by the end of that story and the scariest thing on the screen. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. He can run out of steam for sure. I think the problem is, quite often, Terry Nation rides on the coattails of his um, his own, oh, what's the word? His own legend, almost, that he's 
been told he's a great writer, so he sort of rides the coattails of that and just coasts through things. So a lot of his his work in the 60s um, for the ITC shows is really interesting because there is the story, and it's a brilliant story, and I love it, of um, one night in the States where they show they because they'd imported all the all the ITC shows and they showed two Terry Nation written episodes of different shows that were the same story on the same <laughs> night back to back. <laughs> I think it was the Saint and the Baron, the Baron. Um, and so there is that kind of hackery about him where no one will notice if I show you this story again, because I've, I've kind of done this. And, Brilliant. Yeah. and that was the night he got found out. <laughs> Well, there are ideas that occur. Like he does like a good play, doesn't he? <laughs> he doesn't he? Yeah, and he loves a countdown. And we'll get be getting a countdown next episode. Oh, this is full of his cliches. I just think it's all just but it's, um but it's all just done real, with that extra it? bit of gusto. Yeah. And the difference here is is like, you know, like Dallas Maskman is the ultimate example of Terry Nation getting bored halfway through because he chips out come episode seven and doesn't come back. Let's turn his spoon and finish it off. I'm off, to you, I'm off to the States. I'm off to the States. Whereas um, I think because this is such an important story, this has to end on something pretty spectacular. And oh boy, does it. But we're not there yet. No. <laughs> we're, we're doing episode two and we should probably Surely. go into it. <laughs> Let's do episode two then. Okay, so, go on then. How many counters in? Uh, oh, wait. We all set? Yep. Set. Okay, in five, four, three, two, one, play. Do you know, guys, I'm perfectly convinced that I could just literally natter on about Doctor Who with you two forever. We'd we never run out of things to say. <laughs> Do we need a story need to story. talk about? No. <laughs> that was ten minutes long. We hadn't even gone into the story. <laughs> what story are we doing again? Oh, something. Number one Doctor Who story ever, I believe. It's not anymore, is it? It was what? Top of the, the Dominators. Shall we? Shut up, Fraser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you all want to see Genesis of the Quarks. Don't deny it. Why don't they reprise the cliffhanger? I think they've just got too much to do. Oh, what? There's, they're out of time? Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. guessing so. There's is, it, is it this one or the other one that overran? Uh, I think it was episode three that overran. The, the cliffhanger was supposed to be part of episode. what happens in episode four, but they didn't want to cut this anything. This happens so surprisingly just... often in Doctor Who. Yeah, I um, I want to briefly because the Daleks are in this. I want to briefly talk about the Daleks because um, <sighs> Fraser, you know, um, or you listen to Too Watch Who, you know how yes. Sarah really dislikes the Daleks. Mm -hmm. Well, they did Genesis of the Daleks, and she absolutely loved them in this. And she said it's because for once they felt as if they were being played for real. They were being taken seriously, and they were like a genuinely dynamic threat. What I think is they do in this story that is really different is um he not only shoots them they're lit amazingly well in this and they're often lit in shadows with like lights bouncing off the casings they look like uh, they've painted them black so they look like tanks they look like you know people that have been made into weapons i just think they look incredible i think another thing is that um we don't actually get to see proper fully realized Daleks until the very end of the very last episode, we get the threat of the Daleks 
we get we know um you know 50 years down the line you know or, or even you know 10 years as this would be down the line we know what daleks are and what daleks can do we have the doctor desperately trying to explain to everyone else around him what the daleks are and what they can do and what they will become but we don't actually ever see that until the end so we just get the threat of the daleks without you know yeah it's almost as if we haven't given them the opportunity to be rubbish and be defeated we are just yeah. building them up and building them up and they're building used them up. so sparingly so yeah. when yeah. you when they come on the screen you're yes it's a dalek there's a bit of dalek action there's a bit of daleks exterminating people but even then i think the imagery is so memorable so well done like you know daleks can be shot your destiny in the dark yeah. wobbly on the on the landscape and all of this it could have been agonizing yeah instead we're about to get to that scene where Davros introduces the Dalek for the first time. Mm. And that's brilliant because we know what the Dalek can do, but it's not doing it, but it is shot so brilliantly. And it's the moment where the gun, where it's switched on to, auton um, to be autonomous. And the first thing that happens is the gun stick lifts. And it goes towards the doctor. Brilliant. Yeah. And it's just, wow. Okay. Yeah. We know what's coming. It, yeah. Like I think in sort of the 80s when they kept bringing back old monsters, there was like a, a tendency to rely on playing on the audience's expectations. But this was sort of one of the first times this was really done well, wasn't it? Of like, well, we know what the Daleks are about, but they don't. And throughout this story, they're always trying to get them shut down, aren't they? Through various yeah. means, they're trying. And we know that ain't going to happen. We know that whatever you do. Yeah, we know the Doctor is going to lose. Yeah. Oh, do we know that though well i think that's why the sequence where he's got the wires is so good because it's essentially the same sequence that plays out in part of the ways isn't it it's I like mean, i can end all this um and you we, don't know for, at that point the plot pivots you don't know which way that's going to go where we know because we are not watching this live that the daleks come back again and again and again and again and again but you know did would audiences at that time have realized that you know the daleks were already bumped off once weren't they? the end of evil of the daleks that was well bumped it. off at the end of the daleks yeah you know the daleks were were done with the 70s and you know we didn't see them again for good was it four years after that mm. you know yeah. so what's to say that you know if you're watching this in 1975 five, that you're not sitting there thinking oh well actually this could you know this could be it this could be you know the doctor wins at the end and you know destroys the daleks or changes them into forces for good or whatever and and we crack on and when i very very quickly just going back to their realization again when i think about this story i think about shots like that bit where we're shooting up and you've got the dalek with the lights of the battlefield behind oh, it yeah with the purple and the blue or the astonishing sequences of them coming down the corridors in episode six with Dudley Simpson's music going crazy. Dun, dun, dun. And again, like you see the shadows thrown across the wall before you see them, you know, and there's a yeah, real suspense to them coming, coming at you. You know they're going to murder all those scientists, you know. Can I just, just say, I'm speaking part for, for Pat Gorman here. Always oh. a joy. Love Pat Gorman spotting. <laughs> well, you know, because uh, I think we should celebrate the the guest performers in this, not and not yeah. just the ones that are often celebrated. But I think Stephen is it Stephen Yardley? Yeah, he's really great. He is in what is a very thankless role. He's very likable, isn't he? He's very charming. 
And this guy playing Ronson is amazing <laughs> because he's really over the top, but he's over the top in exactly the right way. He gets the and best then, death scene ever. <laughs> yes. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but he has a he has a particular vocal tick. Go and on. he says, you see, all the time. <laughs> I don't, if you, you listen to his dialogue, particularly in the big scene that he has where he's doing the explanation later on in the story, he's always saying, you see, before he says anything. I think Doctor Who's full of marvellous theatrical actors like this man. He's yes. great. I mean, this scene between him and Tom Baker, Tom Baker is just absolutely magical here. He's got that twinkle in his eye, hasn't he? Um, mm -hmm. As he's talking to, to Ronson and just the the script in here as well, because, you know, the bit where, where Ronson is and the zoom on his face where he realises that they and are. And Tom grin. And but it's it just works because it works throughout because Davros has said there is no such thing as aliens. Davros has said an established fact that in the seven galaxies there's no other intelligent life. There is no such thing as aliens. What happens is Ronson sitting here with an alien in front of him, and then Davros wheels in, wheels the Daleks in. That bit we've talked about, the Dalek no realizes that the Doctor and Harry are aliens and goes to destroy them and Davros's world just changes yeah. because Davros chews Ronson out for um stopping them from killing aliens and it's almost as if right aliens are real now it's just that fantastic that's what but isn't um, it right you say it's, 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 it's the it's, whole thing of um dictators bending you know the reality to build to bending facts to their reality you know, to their worldview, saying, well, actually, I've said that in the past, but now aliens are real, and you are the bad guy for not killing the aliens. It's like, hang on, what? That's so good. I love the fact that you're, I think you're right, his perception does change, but he's a scientist as well, and he's hungry yeah. for the for knowledge, knowledge of what's out there and what happens in the yeah. future, and those scenes are just electric. But more than I say, this scene also is absolutely electric more he's, than a he's a dictator is the thing is because you know he yes he might have that scientific curiosity of oh well actually aliens are real i am wrong but you won't admit he's wrong and his overriding thought is to destroy them not it's ronson that wants to you know experiment on them investigate them further it's not davros davros wants to destroy first and foremost he is a ruthless dictator before a fantastic scientist Sorry, I'm totally talking off the top of you guys. Uh. No, no, no. No, no. no it's fine. That's it's my specialty, it's don't really worry. interesting stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and this but is the thing I, with this story that there is so much to talk about. Yeah. I, don't, I, I think, like, we'll talk about Michael Wisher a lot, I'm sure. Yes. It, this didn't have to work. This could have been agonizingly terrible. I've seen plenty of classic Doctor Who mm -hmm. where the central villain has just misjudged that you know the tone of the piece you know so you but, and i did nightmare of eden and you've yeah. got thrist in that and you know it it does jar whereas michael wish is so committed to this role yeah. well it, it's what we said everyone is so committed that look from tom as the gun is fitted just tells you everything in a look but uh, I, would... I, I think this is one of my favorite scenes in in all of doctor who i think this is this is magnificent 
the way his hand sort of shakes as yes. he goes to press the button is so well thought through. I would go to say that Michael Wisher gives, ooh, I, I want to say the performance of the classic series in this. It would be easy to argue that, I think. Mm. Well, we, we all know that's actually Graham Crowden followed by... Oh, well, Daryl. Followed by Arthur Cox. <laughs> do you ever think, like, what is it? He says, Paul, do you ever think that style of acting will come back into fashion? In my opinion, it never went away. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He has Davros now absolutely losing his shit and kicking yes. off and really, really and going Ronson into Dalek. is absolutely terrified yes. because he's done something that he shouldn't have done and he knows. And when what? he says, you will be punished for this, it's absolutely a Dalek voice, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it helps because Wish has played Daleks before this. He was a Dalek in Death of the Dark. Yeah. But the thing about, I wish I would go back to talking about his hand, is, is the poise. You know, he is ramrod straight in that chair. And his arm is and always at 90 move. degrees. Mm. You know, so when he's moving at a shape, but you've got that 90 degree, it's off. He's not resting on anything. He's just holding it out there in front of him. 90 degree. I mean, you try doing that, you know, and see it, how... It is literally his, his face and his hand are the only parts of his body that you see move. Yeah. And m as brilliant as Julian Bleach is and Terry Malloy is, they're too physical yeah <laughs> they're yeah, big yeah. well i think michael wish is doing a lot with his voice isn't he yes like, it's, it's all like... voice i mean like you said the the face is completely hidden it barely moves the mm -hmm. hand but like I, I wonder if we've been spoiled by sort of grotesque images in doctor who because his mask it is just horrific isn't it oh, yeah, and yes. the fact that he used to be a normal person so what the fuck happened for him to have that scarred face and to have that thing in the back of his head which is holding his skull together it's explained in the may book, i just it? say um stephen moffat you can fuck off if you think davros has got eyes underneath oh, those yeah. burnt out <laughs> eyelids really and really? Rusty davis you can fuck off if you're going to tell us how davros got burn you know mm -hmm. we don't want to know it's better in our imaginations i think Stephen moffat you can fuck up oh no Trace is just frozen both just frozen what's happened so it's really interesting these scenes because you've got the fall captain who we've seen in part one now captured by the far i'm sorry the Khalid captain yeah. captured by the files and he's still absolutely defiant and absolutely on it and he's not going to be defeated and he's still giving the the Khalid rhetoric i think what you also get is is you know this is the thals now the thals have come and captured sarah in the it, it's it's feels very much like a graveyard but it's not is it it's just like a no, it's just a, a yeah, it's, yeah section like of wasteland church for some reason but you know the thaws have come and done exactly what the carleds do mutals all exactly the same yeah these are supposed to be the good guys these are the ones that we should be rooting for and then there are no good guys no. that's that's no. the really interesting thing even the goodish guys that we meet like garmin and yeah. and ronson yeah are not good guys because they've been part of this project and they've been pushed and pushed and pushed and they've got this far yeah and now their consciences are clicking in but yeah. they 
but they have been happy to go along with this and be with Davros all the up to this point. I'd say yeah, the and, most likable character is Severin. This, yeah, and, he's and, the only and person Bethan. who we see and Betan, yeah, behave sort of honourably throughout. Yeah. yeah, he's the one that's like, why does it all? Why do we always have to kill? Why do we always have to destroy yeah. something that's not like us? Oh my god! And he's supposed to be the mutated. Yeah. I've forgotten these scenes with the with the the rocket and the the gantry. My God, this is so well shot in a minute, isn't it? Yeah. Oh well, we've missed and, the bit I said I was going to point out, which was pure hundred percent Robert Holmes. Oh, go on. Which we've we just had it where um, your man, the collared man, sitting there talking about the distronic explosives, and you know, there's no shielding. They won't wait, so we are going to be exposed, and we will die of distronic toxemia. You know, I thought when you said that there's clear Robert Holmes, I thought you were talking about the line where he says, no tea, Harry. <laughs> That's pure Robert Holmes as well. But th that, that whole scene, it's not just obviously the language, you know, the use of the word toxemia, but it's um, it's Bob Holmes doing what he does and just world building by mm, yeah. giving you, you know, background information and just putting it out there as normal as normal is, you know, it's distronic, you know, explosives. You know, what are those? No one knows, but you don't care. It's just a offhand You know the radiation is going to kill you. Exactly. You don't need to know what it is. You know it's bad. You know it's a powerful explosive. You know exposure, it's going to kill you. Um, you know that the Thals don't care about you dying. It's just, with just a few words, he builds I, background and depth and adds layers. And that's and the I, genius of the man, isn't it? don't think we should like we have lauded terry nation but i don't think we should um, underappreciate what robert holmes has brought to this because no, no. all of the dialogue or pretty much all of the dialogue in this is quotable and memorable and that ain't terry nation he writes quite functional dialogue normally yeah you go and watch planet he doesn't Adonis, write and then he doesn't write pretty this. dialogue <laughs> no whereas you know there's there's extended dialogue scenes later on between davros and the doctor where the, it is pin sharp that dialogue and that just ain't terry nation it's i mean it was, it was a chris boucher that said you know there wasn't a line of avon that you know he didn't write mm. yeah and again, it goes back to what you said in the last episode. So it's, that's the job of a script editor. That's what makes a good script editor is. Yeah. It's like we've just had a little callback in this scene where Harry says, um, where the doctor says uh, they're, they're like a scientific community. And Harry says, oh, they're like a sort of think tank. So yeah. just that little callback to a few weeks back for the audience. And that sketches it in. And that sketches Harry in. There was an exchange earlier. We keep going back to bits that happened earlier because we're talking over all these bits. But there's an exchange earlier where he goes, what is it? Um, it's an accepted scientific fact that in the seven galaxies, Scaro is the only one to have intelligent life. And then the doctor's response is, well, it's an accepted scientific fact that there are more than seven galaxies. And that's Robert Holmes, isn't it? Yes. Like, that's pure Robert Holmes. It's great. And, you know, in episode one, I forgot to say one, a really like smart idea, which I don't think goes anywhere, but it's a lovely touch, is the uh, the mixture of old and new weapons. Yeah, I think that's a really lovely touch. Playing going, rock music. Yeah. Just going back to the, the dialogue, though, um, you know, you've got Ronson there springing the Doctor and Harry from the cell, and that is that functional termination dialogue. But um, sorry, who did you say plays Ronson, sorry? I'm James Garbutt. He is delivering it with such intensity and 
conviction and mm. desperation almost that it's really just lifts it again you know it's you know, i think um, the best dialogue in the world but if you're not going to have someone that's going to you know deliver it the way it needs to be it, aside it's, from it's uh, michael wish's performance how the actors respond to davros it gives him like a sense of gravitas and like ronson's clearly terrified of him isn't he terrified. yeah that scene as i pointed out where he's defied davros and he's just standing to attention but you can see him sort of shaking and his body like he's he's like yeah frozen to the spot because he can't it's almost like he can't believe that he's done what he's done i think he's convinced he's gonna die in that moment yeah but they save it for later. Boy, is it a great moment. <laughs> oh, dear. Now, we have barely touched upon Elizabeth Sladen and Ian Marta. Okay. First of all, can I just say that if there's one piece of Doctor Who clothing I would like to wear, yeah. I'd like to have my own version of. I love, is it Liz Shaw's hat? I, no, I love Sarah Jane's jumper in this story. I think that is just wonderful. I would love someone to knit me one of those. Right. Anyone out there? Lucy McCall. Lucy McCall. That's <laughs> <laughs> good with wool. You've got I, six I, months I don't to know. Christmas, I really right? love that jumper. I don't <laughs> yeah. know why, but I really... I just, Think that I just those it. mountains on it. Oh, it's gorgeous. I thought you were gonna have the, well, the brigadier away, hey, Lucy. Get your knitting needles out. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think, um, because it's a weird one for Harry, this because he's with the doctor a lot, but it's he doesn't do a lot, space. does he? They're they're paired together for a lot of this story. I don't think I mean, it's an interesting one because. Neither of the companions gets masses to do, but what they do get to do is really good. I, I think Sarah gets, because she's off on her own, doing her own thing, and she's going for, like, Jesus Christ, the bit where she's on top of the rocket uh, is unforgettably <laughs> adult, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I mean, Sarah gets to be our second pair of eyes, so, you know, we get the Doctor and Harry you know, is one POV set in the Carlet Dome. Sarah then becomes our second pair of eyes so we can see what's going on in um, you know, the Thor. So we get sort of Severin as Sarah's companion, as it were, because Sarah does get a lot to do. You know, Sarah gets to organise the breakout, mm -hmm. or the type of breakout. It's true. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Climb up. She's up about to do here. Yeah. Yes. But as we know, um, Harry was brought in because they thought a much older actor was going to be playing the Doctor uh, than Tom Baker, so they thought we need a young strapping man to come in and do young strapping manly things. Stop it. Um, <laughs> what so, they never expected, was it, was for Tom Baker and Ian Martin yeah. to completely fall in love with each other. <laughs> and what they did, they loved working together, and all three of them, and it just beams off the screen. It yeah. does, but it's, it does have that unfortunate side effect of making Harry a little bit redundant when he is paired with the Doctor. Yeah. So, you know, if maybe yeah, but I'm kind of glad he's paired with the Doctor and it's not Sarah and the Doctor together. Well, yeah, exactly. Because well, I, then you'd have Harry doing all of this, whereas it's much more effective. It's much it more exciting for, for Liz Sladen to get to do this. And because if you, you wouldn't want the female character to be the spare part, because no. as we know, you know, Hinchcliffe era is not a good one if you are 
a female character, is it? That you know, you know how Hinchcliffe said that he wanted it pacier and he wanted it more exciting. Yeah. Well, do you remember that sequence in Planet of the Daleks where they're going up the ventilation shaft in the hot air balloon? And you know, it's a bit ponderous and it takes a little while to get going. Well, when she's going up the gantry in this, it's cut, cut, cut. It's on film. It it looks like it's come out of a feature film. It's terrific. And you've got the alarm going off in the background, and you've got the bullets, people and you've got the sound of people. Yeah, people screaming as they're yeah. falling, and the sound of the bodies thudding to the floor. And Look just at the, the camera. Up. The camera is not stop. It doesn't stop moving. It keeps following them up. Yes. And yeah, so like this, you've got confusing shots where it's, you just see her legs moving or whatever. But it gives it a sense of dynamism. And fuck, she's probably going up the same bit over and over again. I'm yeah, sure oh, she yeah. is. But I just think it's great. And the cliffhanger, I remember when I first watched this cliffhanger, I was desperate to see the next part. That's the alarm. They'll be after <laughs> us in a minute. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Do you know, I had that um, LP sigh. And so parts of this story are so ingrained in my head. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, here we go. Yeah, let them shooting up. And you just think, well, how the hell are they going to get out of this? Yeah, but they're going. And what's interesting is, is the suspense doesn't end after the cliffhanger. It no, keeps, it, it carries on. Going. It's that Terry Nation thing of like constantly wanting to turn the page, you know? And she's terrified and she's tired and she's suffering from... Dystronic toxemia. Oh, this bit. I think this bit's horrific where, where the person helping her up gets shot and falls yeah. to death. And it's the Carlin man, isn't it? It's the man yeah. from the first episode. And did you see that? He landed on the floor. His face was in total shock. It was yeah. horrible. Oh, it's horrible. Come on. You must. Yeah. I can't move. She does fear she's, so well. She does so, she? yeah. She's a bit like Nicola Bryant. She's too good at it. It's, it's oh, very gosh. real, Rose. <gasps> And it's one of David Maloney's freeze frame cliffhangers. Oh, so, yes. oh. oh my God, on Britbox it says, ah! <laughs> 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 to be fair, they got it right, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. Yeah, what, another amazing episode, isn't it? I mean, I think we're going to say that every single time, <laughs> aren't we? Do you know, there was only one point there where I was like, oh God, where he went, oh, we're going to go up the ventilation shaft. To get out of mm-hmm. here, and I thought, oh, we're, we're back in Terry Nation territory now. And then we didn't we see some weird crocodile going across the screen? We did, it? which is the top of an ice warrior. I was going to see it look more like an ice warrior to me. Yeah. Um, and it was. Nice. Yeah. Is there even a poor cliffhanger in this? I don't think there is, is there? The electrocution one's a bit weird. Oh, I like that just because of his performance. He looks like mm-hmm. he's in agony. It, it, it is a weird one because, like I said, that wasn't supposed to be the cliffhanger. The cliffhanger was supposed to be something Davos says, you know, a little bit weird oh, in episode okay. four. But because the episode overran and they didn't want to cut anything from this episode, from episode three, um, they ended up just chucking a, a cliffhanger in. Um, well, fellas. It's probably another Terry Nation cliche, isn't it? Just chuck a cliffhanger in anywhere you want. And <laughs> yeah, look, it's a floor. Woo. <laughs> shall, shall we see how Sarah Jane possibly gets out of this one in episode three? She's doomed, isn't she? She's she falling. She's dead. Yep. Uh, I really liked her as well. Ah, <laughs> oh, well. We've always got Harry. 